Mind 10 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, with hosts Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. At Proverbs 910 Ministries, we are dedicated to taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with biblical truth. Welcome back. Today, we're going to tackle some of the questions and concerns surrounding the issue of singleness for Christians. Relevant Magazine, in an article from April 2020, said that both in the U.S. and the U.K., Christian women are leaving churches at an increasingly high rate. In the UK, one study showed that single women are the most likely group to leave Christianity, and the U.S. numbers are telling a similar story. And one of the reasons is because it's so hard to find a Christian man to marry because the ratio of men to women is not equal. Women far outstrip men in church attendance, and that makes it difficult. Yep. So today we're going to talk about Christians who are single but who would truly like to be married. Christians who are single have some legitimate questions about who they should marry and how to find someone. In addition, we're going to talk about some Christians who are happy being single, and we're going to talk about how they sometimes get treated in the Christian community. And sometimes it's not very good. No, sometimes it's not good at all. Being single Christian in a conservative Christian denomination can be frustrating because they're often perceived as being lonely, immature, afraid to have sex, too assertive, or for women, not feminine enough. Or not masculine. Or not, not masculine enough, yeah. So let's start by addressing single Christians who want to be married. One question that gets asked a lot is, what does being unequally yoked mean? Chris, you want to explain it? Okay. Second Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? In other words, Christians should marry other Christians. And that's not just a New Testament idea. All the way back through the Old Testament, God wanted his people separate from the world. His people weren't to marry people from the pagan religions surrounding them. If they did, as in the case of Ruth the Moabitess, the person was to convert and completely shun their pagan religion. Absolutely. It only makes sense. It protects and preserves the faith of the believer. God knows how much influence the person that we're closest with can have. Would your unbelieving spouse be inclined to have your alarm go off on Sunday morning so you didn't miss church? Or would they coax you to not setting it so that you could both sleep in on Sunday? If they were of a different religion, what happens when your worldviews clash? A person's worldview affects everything. Where your money's spent, you know, who you vote for in the political spectrum, and how you raise your children. Right. It may be popular today to have a two-religion household and let your children grow up practicing both along with whatever else they decide they want to practice. And we dealt with this in an earlier episode. The idea is that they can decide for themselves what they want to do when they grow up. But God commands his people to teach their children and their children's children about him and all that he's done, according to Deuteronomy 4.9. And later in that Deuteronomy passage, he says, gather the people to me that I might let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. It's not a guarantee that your children are going to be believers when they grow up, but it's what God commands of us. So that alone is enough for us to do it. Absolutely. So here's another question. It's similar to the last one. 
do we have to agree theologically? <laughs> hmm. Well, you must agree on the essentials of what makes someone a Christian, the essentials of the faith, the deity of Christ, salvation by God's grace through faith, not by works, salvation through Jesus Christ alone, the resurrection of Christ, the virgin birth, etc. all the essential things. And we've talked about those before too. But then how much disagreement you can stand once you get past the essentials is up to you. It might be hard to find a church if you're not on the same page theologically. If you love this person, study the scriptures together and see if you can both find common ground where to at least start from. Yeah, that's good advice. So the next two questions we can answer together, Rose. What does God say about who I should marry? And how will I know when I meet the one God has for me? Because that's a big deal. So let's talk about that. That's right. Because he's not going to be wearing a name tag. No. (laughs) There's not a lot of parameters about who to marry in the Bible. It's pretty simple, actually. Someone of the opposite sex and reality, not just identifying as the opposite sex. They need to actually be the opposite sex. But they also need to be a Christian, a believer. So Other than that, there's not a lot of parameters. So how do you know when you meet the one God has for you? You marry someone who checks off the boxes we just said, and then it's who you like, who you're attracted to, and any and all of the other things that make you want to marry someone. Exactly. That's right. You don't have to worry that you're going to screw up God's plans by marrying the wrong person. In other words, if you marry Ken and your sister marries Stanley and your best friend marries Stuart, you don't have to worry that what God really had planned for was for your sister to have married Stuart and you to have married Stanley and for Ken to have married someone you don't even know. You can't mess up God's plan. Not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. God isn't up in heaven going, now what am I going to do? Who is Stacy going to marry? These people are screwing up by marrying the wrong people. But Rose, that is how a lot of people view this. That's how they view picking their mate. Like there's only one that God has for them and they might make a mistake. Right. So here's a question that often gets asked by women. Is it okay for a woman to ask a guy out? Oh, yeah. It's great to be asked out by a guy. You know that they're interested in you when that happens. And I'm sure the same is true a lot of times for guys. I did hear a conservative pastor say once that men should do the asking. I think that does show some initiative on the guy's part, which is a good character trait. But to say that women should never ask a guy out, I would have to ask, would you rather not go on a date and sit around waiting to see if the guy you're interested in asked you out? Or would you rather have the opportunity, you know, to go out with someone that you're interested in? Right. But you having to ask the guy out increases the chance of you getting a passive guy who might not be a good leader. But- It's only one date. You don't ever have to go out with him again if you don't want to. There's no biblical command saying that a woman can't be the one to ask. Absolutely. That reminds me of the story of Ruth and Boaz in the Old Testament. She definitely showed the initiative in starting that relationship with him. And the truth is some really, really good men are shy or maybe afraid of getting their feelings hurt or whatever. Again, there's no biblical command for the woman not to do the asking. Right. And another question. Are dating sites taboo for a Christian? Hmm. Yeah. Well, again, 
no biblical command there uh, that would prohibit a Christian from using a dating site. Probably because there were no dating sites. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. But obviously, be careful. I mean, everyone, Christians and non-Christians, should be careful using dating sites. But it's one of the main ways that busy people, busy adults meet today. Right. I mean, it's it's huge. Right. And I, I don't see anything wrong with no. it. As long as you're careful, like you yep. said. So moving on, can we spend the night together as long as we don't have sex? I can't believe how much this is asked. The answer? No. <laughs> no. It's not wise. First Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Sleeping in the same bed or even cuddling on the couch watching movies is a huge temptation you don't need to put yourself in. So flee, flee the temptation and don't put yourself in that kind of dangerous situation. Absolutely. And it can give the appearance of sin. Everything that we do should glorify God. 2 Corinthians 8, 20 to 21 and Romans 12, 17 both speak about doing what is honorable in the sight of all. The appearance of sin by a Christian to the outside world can make them look like a hypocrite and it could discredit their ministry, you know, that either one of them is doing. Right. And just to clarify, if the person you're dating lives with their parents, there's certainly nothing wrong with you staying at the parents' house. Oh, yeah. Right. Because other people are there. Right. And- We're talking about being alone. For yeah. Right. Right. Okay, Chris, so let's talk about the purpose of dating and understand we're talking about marriage age people dating. Dating just for fun usually gets old after a while and can lead to temptation after temptation. There's two ways dating ends up, breaking up or getting married. For the Christian who's ready to think about marriage, the purpose of dating becomes trying to find out whether or not you and the other person are suited to marry each other and whether you want to marry each other. And women and sometimes men ask about having feelings for someone or the lack of having those romantic feelings for someone like we see in movies or we read about in in books. You know, is that a reason to get married or do I have to have those feelings to get married to a person? I think that's a question everyone has to answer for themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. The day I met my husband, I knew I was going to marry him. I don't know how I knew, but I knew it. But should you continue to date someone and possibly marry them if you don't have those feelings? God does give us the gift of being attracted to people and falling in love with someone. I think a couple questions you have to ask is, can I live with this person for the rest of my life? And are we good for each other? But feelings are important in this case. And you have to base your decision, though, on more than just the feelings. Right. Although, like we said, the feelings are important. Absolutely. You make a good point, Rose, about being good for each other. I saw on social media, a Christian woman was engaged to a Christian man. And two weeks before their marriage, she found out he was addicted to pornography. Mm. She was asking for advice, whether to stay or get out. Almost every answer, mostly from women who had been down that road, was get out now because you're not married yet. And I would totally agree with that. Mm -hmm, Me too. An engagement is not a marriage. There's no sin to backing out of an engagement, even up until the day you're supposed to get married. If you find out something about your fiance that could destroy your lives together, pornography, drugs, cheating, just some of the things that could do it. 
you want to run from that and Mm -hmm. get out men or women get out. Right. Exactly. You're not married yet. So there's nothing wrong with it. Right. Another question asked is how soon is too soon to get married if I do meet someone and fall in love? Well, again, my husband and I got engaged pretty quickly after we started dating, but we didn't get married for a couple of years. Couldn't afford it. But the Bible doesn't give any timelines. And I would say once you've gotten to know him or her, their family, their friends, you've gone to church together, you've talked to your pastor and maybe done a fairly in-depth marriage counseling with your pastor, which usually takes several months. So that pushes it off a little. There's nothing set in stone. Just use common sense. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that marriage counseling with the pastor is, is very important. Yeah. And you know, often one-on-one. a good pastor will tell you. If, they won't do it. If you should get married or not. Yeah. Yeah, they will. I, we know some pastors that have said, you know, they've told people no, right. you know, in the middle of counseling. Right. So it's, it's a good thing to do. So one of the big questions is from single men and women who have a strong desire for marriage and often along with that to have children, but it's not happening. So the question is, why won't God give me these things when he's given me such a strong desire for them? And that's probably the toughest question to answer today, Mm -hmm. because none of us know for sure why God does things the way he does them and why he gives some people what they desire and others not so, at least it doesn't seem so. Right. Often there's a few verses that people will pull out counting on for that hope. Proverbs 10, 24, what the wicked dread will come upon them, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. Or Proverbs eleven twenty three, 23, or Psalm 37, 4, which say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. I mean, first of all, the Proverbs are, are not absolute promises. They weren't meant to be. So we can't say about them that if you're doing the first part, then the others are given. If that were the case, then sometimes the Proverbs themselves would actually contradict themselves. Right. And the Bible never contradicts it, itself. The Proverbs were meant as basic life applications that are wise. And the perfect son with the perfect wisdom is Jesus. The second verse you said is from the Psalms, and this one makes a lot of people whose desires of any type are going unfulfilled question whether they are truly delighting themselves in the Lord or whether they need to amp things up a bit, whatever that (laughs) entails for them. So they're questioning whether God's not giving them what they want because they're not doing enough or aren't doing the right thing. That's doing the same thing as people do with the Proverbs. If I do A, then B will happen. We shouldn't base our doctrine on a single passage. And Nancy Guthrie says this about this passage. It's not that he gives us what we desire. He actually gives us new desires so that we find ourselves wanting more of him. We find ourselves actually wanting to be holy. We find ourselves wanting to give ourselves in the world to the passions of his heart because he's given us his own desires. Right. But don't take that to mean that we should sit around passively and wait for God to drop the perfect spouse on our laps. We do have to be proactive and we do need to make sure that we're doing appropriate things to possibly meet the pro, you know meet someone. For example, a Christian man shouldn't be looking for a woman to marry in a strip club. You know, and a Christian woman needs to put herself out there a bit to meet someone a lot of times. Yeah, maybe a young adult singles group in your church if they have one. Maybe just going out with friends and not trying to hunt someone down, but always being aware that you never know where you might meet your mate. That's right. 
But we also need to understand that it may be that singleness is a state God has decreed for your life. Singleness is a biblical state. It doesn't mean you stop trying to find someone, but maybe you need to learn to be content if marriage is not in God's plan for you. For all of us, God needs to be enough. Yeah, and it's that's that's a tough place to be, but yeah. there's a blog post from Glenna Marshall, a woman who claimed Psalm 37.4 as her life verse as a teenager. Now, we, we don't recommend claiming a life verse. That's no. something we do not no. advocate at no. all. But Ms. Marshall's thoughts were exactly what we've been talking about. She thought that Psalm 37.4, when she was a teenager, was the perfect verse to claim because it was formulaic, or so she thought back then. Long story short, she wanted to have a baby, and she wasn't able to. A decade after declaring her life first, she's once again sobbing on the floor after another negative pregnancy test. Here's what she says, and I'm going to quote her. Had God failed to deliver what I thought he had promised, could he be doing anything good in the years of fruitless waiting? She goes on to say that after all those years, she began to question what she knew of God's character. She admitted she hadn't been seeking him for anything other than a child for so long that opening her Bible for any other reason felt odd. I'm going to quote her again. He hadn't failed to deliver on a promise because he had never promised me children. He was doing something good in the years of waiting because he does not work without purpose. He is intentional and also kind. And while I didn't know that he was being both intentional and kind in my infertility back then, I now know for certain that he was. And her delve into her Bible led to this conclusion. I'm going to quote her again. Sometimes the Lord uses his word to both rebuke and bind us up with healing. As I searched the scripture for what I could learn about God's character, my arms were still empty, but my heart began to be filled. Desiring to get married is a good desire, but don't let the loneliness become an idol that moves you to something unbiblical, like marrying a non-Christian or having sex outside of marriage or anything like that. Getting married isn't a guarantee to ease your loneliness either. There are lots of married people that are still lonely and lots of single people who are not lonely. Marriage isn't a quick fix for being lonely. In fact, it comes with a whole new set of troubles, for lack of a better word. That's right. And speaking of single people who are not lonely, let's now talk about singles who don't have a desire to get married or have children and the problems that they're facing because of their singleness within Christian circles. Yeah, you mean that sometimes in Christian circles, people in that situation are treated as outcasts or as if they're not thinking correctly or at least aren't thinking biblically, and especially if they don't want children, right? Not all single people want to get married and or have children. We said in the last episode that it's a privilege given to us by God to raise his precious little ones. And it is, whether that means raising our own children, helping raise other children, or teaching kids at any age in the church. But not all people have that desire or gift. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. And the church at large has to stop thinking in that mindset. All Christians are to share the gospel and teach and admonish admonish each other. It may be the highest calling we all have to teach God's truth to the children God's entrusted to our care, but both Paul and John refer to people of any age that they taught as their children. Maybe we need to think of that high calling of teaching and spreading God's word more in that mindset. 
Good point. And just as not all single people want to be parents, not all single people feel insecure about being single. In fact, a lot of them enjoy it and are totally content. They are. I'm going to quote what one single childless woman said about being in her conservative reformed church and how it made her feel. She says, being a single woman in a congregation made primarily of nuclear families can often feel like walking around with no clothes. Everyone sees and points out this supposed vulnerability. Single women don't have a husband to cover them emotionally, physically, and materially. She goes on to say that being a parent is another thing that implies adulthood or that you've been made whole and complete. She even heard that articulated when overhearing one mother define adult to her child as mommies and daddies. <laughs> now, I can see myself maybe doing that. I could tell. I could too. And I'm sure the mother didn't mean anything that that definition encompasses when she said it. But that example should remind us that we have to give some thought to what we're saying because we don't know who's listening and who we're hurting. Right. And we, we need to be cognizant of this. The Bible never says that every Christian has to get married or that every Christian should. The Apostle Paul talks about being married and being single in light of serving the Lord in 1 Corinthians 7. Verses 32 to 35 of that passage say, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about many things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Like he says, your interests are less divided when you're single. Right. And that's just common sense. Paul isn't saying this to try and lay some kind of restraint on people, which he states in the next verse. And we're certainly not trying to say that either. Getting married or not getting married, we're not taking a side. No, we're definitely <laughs> and, not at all. And Paul didn't either. Yeah, no. One of my sons is actually getting married this week. And Rose, you and I both have sons that we'd love to see get married someday. But the church has to stop thinking of marriage and childbearing as the only option for Christians. And it's got to stop making people who aren't married feel like pariahs. I agree. Some people enjoy being single and having a career and not just as missionaries in some remote location. Some enjoy singleness along with their secular career right where they are. Anyone, man or woman, can shine the light of the gospel in their field of employment. As long as they love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what they're doing is not antithetical to scripture, there's no other limitations on a career choice. No, there's not. I'm going to quote another woman about this very subject. She's the daughter of a pastor, graduated magna cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa with degrees in Chinese and economics. She's married now, but this is what she saw in her former church. She says, and I'm quoting here, it's a bitter experience for a young woman at church to know the church thinks you're just killing time. With few exceptions, unmarried or childless women feel the pressure of their pastors and congregations to wait patiently for the next phase of their lives. Well-intentioned or not, the message sent is that what occupies a woman's time prior to or instead of motherhood is not and cannot be fulfillment of God's purpose. That's sad. It is sad. She also says she felt the pressure in college to find a Christian application of her career path and that she's seen gifted women in these situations go so unsupported in their academic and vocational paths 
by their churches that they leave the church altogether. And this is certainly the same can be true for men. Oh, absolutely. Vocational work doesn't have to be a direct correlation to the kingdom to be doing kingdom work. Martin Luther, the great reformer, did away with the distinction of work being either sacred or secular long ago. The work of pastoring or ministry of any kind is not more important than being in a secular job. That truth holds true for women just as much as, as it does for men. Some men are called into marketing. Some men are called into pastoral ministry. Some women are called into being a wife and a mother and taking care of the home. And some women are called to be research analysts or CEOs or lawyers. All have their calling from God and all are of equal importance. Right. And that's a good place to end today. We'd love to hear from any of you who are single and your experiences you've had in the church. And if you're a single woman in your 20s who wants to get married, send us a message. Remember, we have two single sons. <laughs> They're going to kill us for that. <laughs> they are going to kill us. Have a blessed day, everyone. 